Welcome back to Med Twitter this week. I'm Chris the Chi Man Chu, and I bring you my favorite tweets of the week. This week, I got Dr. Jeff Stetson, who's the other half of uh, what I think they call it Tutorial Tuesdays with Dr. Spicer, who I had on last week. So we're going to talk about his tweets this week and some of his favorite tweets that, that he also found interesting. So catch you guys after the intro. All right, welcome back. I have Dr. Stetson with me today. I'm going to read a little bit from his recent tutorial, which actually is about an hour old at this moment. He starts, today is about providing all learners with the best online learning environment as possible. It's equity week, y'all. Is equity the same thing as equality? And I think that's probably gets to the crux of the matter. So I have Dr. Stetson with me. Hi, how are you doing? Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. I was sort of wondering, what, what's your size? How did this all happen? Because this is this is a pretty big project. It sounds like you guys have a, a large roadmap of things you want to talk about for the next several months too. Yeah, I don't exactly know how it happened. Um, it really has been very organic. Um, I was following her on Twitter and loving the things she was putting out. And I, we started following each other. I knew she was a mentee of um, Kim, Dr. Kimberly Manning, um, who is an idol of mine. And I met her at SGM one year um, and we've stayed in touch. So I just hit her up with a DM and said, maybe we should uh, work together. And she said, sure. We had one Zoom meeting and then things started happening. And we just, we had one Zoom meeting, a couple of emails and this whole virtual online tutorial series has come out of that one meeting. Now, now when did you guys start the series? I, I know it was a little while back and I was a little slow <laughs> to get on board. Yeah, no, um, this this is week eight. Um, so two months ago. Uh, oh, and now, yeah. And so I, I, you guys, it sounds like you guys have a whole roadmap for all the way through October. Is that correct? Uh, not through February, actually. Oh, through February. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, okay. That's yeah. that's impressive. I'm I'm so looking forward to this. You guys are definitely one of the the two that I put that little bell. I hit that little bell to make sure that when these go up, I'm going to check this out. Thank so you. Tell, it. So tell me a little bit about the tweet that just came out today. So we're recording on Tuesday, and yep. so um, we're t it's Equity Week, and and you have um, your theme is about equity. Can you tell us a little bit about the difference between equity, equality, why we're sort of looking at this now, and how it affects online learning or teaching in general? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, uh, historically, um, we have said, you know, equality is let's give everyone the same thing and then everything's equal and that is fair. But, you know, what we've learned a lot in America recently and in, uh, in education to get everyone the same opportunities you need to help some people more than others. And that's the difference. Equity is getting everyone to the same level of opportunity. Um, and so that's what this thread is about is how do we help those in the online learning environment to, to have all the same learning opportunities. Um, and part of that is, you know, everyone needs sufficient hardware. Everyone needs a working computer and or tablet. Everyone needs good Wi-Fi. Uh, like streaming video is takes a lot of bandwidth, and if you're sharing Wi-Fi with a lot of different people, or you don't have um, the funds to pay for good Wi-Fi, you will be at a disadvantage. And um, 
it's important that our learning institutions are making sure everyone's got what they need. Um, I talk a little bit about closed captioning and, and language translation, um, but just making sure that this, this switch that we've had to make to virtual learning environments due to the COVID pandemic isn't disadvantaging people is, is what this is all about. Now, this is sort of the same issue that I have as I'm now engrossed in telehealth. You know, I have large patient populations who they can barely pay for their cell phone bill a month, right. let alone whether they have data on their phone or solid Wi-Fi at home. Like, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. And so we, we're seeing this within sort of the telelearning teaching environment, too. So you were sort of talking about making sure that our educational institutions are making sure that our students have the right hardware for learning. Is that our only way at, at addressing this issue? No, no. Um, so hardware, Wi-Fi bandwidth, and then um, there's a, I, I didn't link to it, but I, I put a screenshot of this amazing New York Times article that just um, shows how, I mean, we've seen COVID has just exposed a lot of the disparities in our nation and, and they, they show these uh, two women, I think they go to Haverford College. Um, one has retreated to her uh, vacation home in Maine, and the other is helping her mom on a taco truck. Um, and they're in the same class, and they're on this, the same lacrosse team at Haverford, um, but their learning environments are, like one has a private room in a uh, vacation home and the other is like trying to learn on the sidewalk while taking a break from helping her mom. So um, it's, there are little tips and tricks like not mandating that videos are on if a student doesn't necessarily feel comfortable sharing their environment. I think we shouldn't make students do that. I think that's really important. Um, and I think just giving students the space to participate in ways that they feel comfortable and that they're able to. Now, actually, I find the, um, the encouragement of, of um, having video on but not mandating is actually a very interesting one because very recently, I actually just, I gave a, a lecture last Friday. And part of the reason why I was having you guys on is because I'm working on trying to get my online lectures better. Yeah. I, uh, I got Padlet for the lecture as, cool. uh, as Dr. Spicer talked about and it was still like pulling teeth but I also realized on my lecture there was no one had their video on only the chief resident had the video on as we were talking but no one else okay. did yeah. and afterwards I asked the chief I was like are all the lectures this way or did I just really bomb like was it yeah. just horrible and she's like no it's just difficult to get interaction and we actually had a brief discussion should we just tell everyone everyone has to have their video on yeah. And actually, I, I didn't really think about per what you what you discussed in your your thread today is, well, obviously, having there, there may be some difficulties. Now, likely all our residents are probably they're streaming from the resident room. So the environment right. may not be an issue. But I've, I've really never thought about like, their environmental issues. Um, are they not able to afford all the data for their video and yeah. making these learning environments accessible for everyone? Definitely it may change from case to case, but I really hadn't thought about those case scenarios um, until yeah. you brought it up in your thread. Yeah, well, I'm glad, uh, yeah, glad I got, got you thinking. Um, I guess uh, regarding resident education, I, I talked with um, 
uh, friend and colleague Christopher Jackson about this. He's down. At, yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, he's down in Tennessee, uh, in Memphis. And he, um, he was having a hard time getting, getting resident participation in his, um, uh, you know, case conferences. And I think it's just, um, <laughs> teaching residents is super hard uh, when you're in the virtual learning environment because they're pulled in so many different directions. They have right, right. clinical demands and we're so used to multitasking in the virtual environment that, you know, everyone, if they have the opportunity, they're going to shut off the video and try to do two things at once. Whereas if you're in a classroom, they don't have the computer sitting in front of them. So, um, what I suggested to Chris and what we, I put it in my last tweet last time is if you can get three or four residents before the lecture who can commit to being involved the whole time that can build some. Can pull, pull everyone else in. Exactly. So That's not a bad idea. I'll have, I'll have to remember that and um, we'll definitely share it with the rest of my, my residency program. So yeah. excellent. So we're going to move on to some of your favorite tweets of the week, but I was wondering, yeah. were there any last remaining pearls you want my audience to know about with this thread or just in general about online teaching? Um, no, I think it's all there. Um, I think, you know, we've done this eight week thread and, you know, some ideas are still coming. So there'll be supplemental stuff as we go forward to, to keep this going, but please like, follow, subscribe, all the things and, <laughs> We, we love questions and comments and feedback, so keep it coming. Do we have a teaser about what's to come, at least in the near future? Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep it under wraps for now. Um, just wait, just keep, uh, keep it tuned to next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so before we were talking, uh, as we were preparing for the show, you gave me th uh, three tweets that you, you thought were interesting that I wanted to talk about. So first yep. one was from Dr. Charlie Ray, um, who has been running in all the same circles that we have for quite some time. And his tweet says, how can academia combat racism? A great health affairs article on how researchers, journals, and reviewers can rethink how they approach health equity research. That's up to future docs. Um, so he's got some take home points. I actually didn't get a chance because we only just talked about before we got on. I didn't get a chance to really read this thread. You want to tell me a little bit, uh, give me a good summary? Well, um, I think the context is huge here. Um, so. Well, Charlie and I share an office. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. Um, uh, space, space in the Bay Area is at a premium. So Charlie and I um, sit back to back and um, talk about things all the time. But um, this last week on Med Twitter was pretty crazy with the Med Bikini stuff going on. And yes. it was amazing to see the activism that. Um, Med Twitter was able to put together, um, and, I and think, they retracted the article. And they retracted the article, um, <clears throat> and most of the team has come out with apologies. Um, and I think the the authors of the article have a tremendous opportunity to do some really deep learning and to to share that. Um, I think you know I don't I don't want cancel culture to to overwhelm these authors, because I think they could, we could all learn something from them from this experience. But um, so what I really loved about Charlie's tutorial or thread was that it had, um, rather than all these, um, you know, very important statements against this 
article uh, in the Journal of Vascular Surgery and this other article in uh, Journal Society, um, Charlie brought some tangible and evidence-based um, lessons to the table. Um, so I think he just elevated the discussion to another level to give us all um, some, some tools to, to make academia a more welcome, uh, welcoming place. So that's what I really appreciated about it. Now, to summarize to our, my listeners and viewers, in case you, you, you were sleeping under a rock this week or just happened to be off Twitter, which I know people should, probably should do for their mental health every once in a while. So um, there was an article that came out in a Vasco journal. And I think this team of vascular surgeons and residents or something, they, yeah. they basically they made some fake profiles and then went sort of undercover to view a bunch of um, social media profiles. And then there, they were looking at what was considered unprofessional. And within that list of things that they considered unprofessional were, I think, uh, you know, t photos of, of, uh, of physicians who are either holding alcohol and vibing alcohol or in sort of bathing wear, I think. And so really, it, it sort of came out to, it came into head when as, as you know, people on Twitter, and, and I definitely I've heard in other places too, actually, as soon as this came out, um, is, is this, does this seem normal? Because really, like, is there something immoral about peeing in a bikini or in a bathing suit? Or it, I mean, we're human, most of us can sit and drink alcohol, which is legal. Like, it's just sort of like, oh, is, does it make sense to sort of deride these, these issues as being like, uh, unprofessional? Or is this really a discussing sort of underlying issue with our society looking at is, is it unacceptable to be in a bikini or to be holding alcohol? And I think it was, it was very interesting, but it just sort of blew up. And I just saw all sorts of people, male, female, non-binary people just, you know, in their bikinis or in their bathing suits. And, you know, it really took off. It was trending in like the whole, whole uh, the larger Twitter sphere yeah. as well. And um, like you said, it got retracted. But I also understand the, the issue with cancel culture. I think one thing that I found interesting, so one of the authors did, did sort of have an apology. And Esther Chu, mm -hmm. um, who's, who's a huge name and, and just yeah. very an intelligent and a proactive um, physician in this area, she was like, uh, she, so she actually talked about the apology. And I'll, I'll share this tweet as well. And she talked about, you know, mm -hmm. how she was actually happy of the way the apology happened. So she was like, it clearly states we were wrong. It states intent, but does not stop there and goes on to address impact. It clarifies, but does not defend and addresses mm -hmm. fundamental issues in the team. So uh, I think, like you said, this is an area where we can all improve and hopefully from this experience, we're all better for it. So yeah, um, I really appreciate you bringing that, that tweet from Charlie and I'll, I'll make sure it gets linked below as well as, um, I just encourage people to take out hashtag med, med bikini because I think there was some really interesting discussions out of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So Dr. Sharman Shiskarian had this tweet. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it and why you found, yeah. found it interesting? Yeah. So um, Charmaine is a, uh, she, or Dr. Shikarchian, she is um, just finished her chief year and her, chief resident office was next to mine this past year. <laughs> <laughs> and she is now going to be a hospitalist down at Stanford um, at, at the Palo Alto VA. She is part of the core CP solvers team that started CP solvers with Reza and Robbie. 
um, and Arsalan, and she cited this article that came out in the Journal of Hospital Medicine with Dr. Ellie Adler, uh, Gurpreet Dhaliwal, and Jen Babick, all at UCSF. And it's just an article um, that is explaining the dearth of women in the area of clinical problem solving and diagnostic reasoning um, and how it's this area that's dominated by men. And Charmaine is tremendous. She is a role model of mine um, and writes this beautiful thread about how her imposter syndrome was keeping her from entering this space that she wanted to be a part of um, through the mentorship of Dr. Dhaliwal and Dr. Babic and Dr. Jiha, uh, <laughs> um, she was able to, to make a name for herself in this space and just has been a huge advocate for, um, for women in this space. So it was really beautiful to read. Amazing, amazing. I definitely, I'm so happy that you shared this tweet. So on to about role models. Uh, so this next tweet is actually one of my mentors as well, Dr. Kimberly mm -hmm. Manning. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I could easily talk about her on every episode. So, but I think one interesting one literally just came out within the last 24 hours and you brought this up and this is one that I actually wanted to talk about as well, was she had a great thread talking about your time as a commodity. Yeah. And this is something that um, right now I'm, I'm doing, inter you know, I, I do interviews with um, prospective faculty here at, at my institution as we're trying to, you know, hire and stuff like that. And then a lot of them are, are young faculty or residents who are still graduating. Yeah. And often I find during these interviews, we talk about like how we're, what we're doing with our time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there are definitely lots of schools of thought, right? There is when you're young faculty, just say yes to everything. Right. But then until you burn out or until you figure out what you like to do, right. but then you also have the other school of thought is be very picky about everything you choose to begin with. And mm -hmm. I do think there is sort of an in-between. Right. I mean, especially when I was a young faculty, I didn't know what I liked. Right. So, you know, I would say yes to things. Like, I think I might like that. You know, things I realize I don't like. I don't like being sitting on a bunch of committees. <laughs> wow. um, but what I do love is I love education, things that are relating to that. And so as, as I've grown as a faculty member, I've, I know what things I want to say yes to. But then also now I, I get to be a little more judicious of how I choose my time. Mm -hmm. What were your takeaways from this from this thread? Um, I think so. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in this early transitioning to mid level career, and I've certainly made some missteps along the way. And I think this is just a great thread for anyone who's starting out to just have a framework for for thinking about their time. Um, I certainly, you know was not as judicious as I could be. And I'm starting to get a handle on my <laughs> career. Um, and, you know, finding this um, beautiful partnership with uh, Dr. Spicer is really, you know, helping to um, open up my passions and help me find this direction that I want to pursue. Um, but this this is just a great toolbox for early career faculty to, to have a, a framework to think about their time. So I loved it. Totally, totally. I can't, I can't endorse this thread any more than I have. I mean, honestly, everything that uh, Dr. Kimberly Manning has is just wonderful. I mean, everything from 
you know, how to write letters of recommendation to how to mentor. I mean, she is a wealth of information and, you know, I have never met her personally, but we've definitely talked many times. We, we've had a couple of projects we've done together and now she's basically mentoring the entire med Twitter. I mean, Essentially. <laughs> we're, we're all, we're all for the better for it. And I'm so happy we have her there. So, yeah. well, I, I think we're running out of time now. I really, really thank you for spending the time with me. Do you have anything else you would like to plug or anything we should know about in the future? Yeah, just um, keep it, keep it tuned to the MedEd Twag team and uh, Tweetorial Tuesday. Um, we'll, we'll let you know what we've been cooking up next week. Um, but yeah, we've got a, we've got a game plan through February. So hopefully nice. stay tuned. Awesome. We definitely will. And maybe if you guys would come, want to come back on, maybe we could do a, you know, a three-way and have you and, and Dr. Spicer around at the same time. We could talk about something you're serving in a larger context. I'd, I'd be, I'd love to have you both on at the same time. We'd be happy to, happy to come back. Thank you. Excellent. Well, thank you guys. Time's up this week. Check, check us out on YouTube. Um, Twitter, Periscope. Um, there's a podcast version of this as well. It's on Apple Podcasts and several other podcast apps. Thanks for following on. We'll see you guys in the next one. Bye.